welcome to the Thought Echoes podcast, where we have an opportunity to listen in as people reflect on their relationship with their thoughts and their creative work and how it's changed since their brain injury. My name is Beth Bonnes, host of the Thought Echoes podcast. Thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed this month's interview. Hi, I'm Stacy. Um, I'm originally a country girl from Pennsylvania, although I haven't lived in Pennsylvania or in the U.S. for 20 years. I moved back from I moved from Pennsylvania to New York, where I met my husband, Johan, a Dutch guy. Uh, and life has taken us for quite a ride, I have to say, to London for my husband Johan's work, to Zurich for my work, where our three children were born. Lulu, Frizo, and Cleo, to Tokyo for my husband's work, and then back to Zurich, where we are today. Um, I had just begun a new career as a writer when I survived my stroke. Um, I was living with my family in Japan as, as we were expats. I was playing tennis two to three times a week. Uh, I was young and in very good health. Um, but then I woke on this particular Wednesday morning and I had a numbness in my lower right leg and I just thought I slept wrong. So I just said, okay, let's get on with it. But then this wave of listlessness of inertia was overtaking my entire being. Luckily, um, my husband was home. Uh, he, when he found me, he knew, uh, the signs of stroke. Um, that my face was drooping and I had foam coming out the side of my mouth and he quickly called the ambulance. Um, I was taken to the right hospital um, where a team of neurosurgeons could be uh, assembled and um, they were able to perform the, um, well, it, it, I had an, an MRI, um, a CAT scan and an MRI eye image to um, tell the doctors that I had suffered a, a dissection of my internal carotid artery. And because my artery is redundant, which means it's turny and twisty, it's not straight up and down, it would make treatment of this dissection a little bit more difficult or a lot more difficult. Um, so they, they brought me into surgery and they were trying to place a balloon in my carotid artery. But at some point during, uh, during the surgery, they came out to Johan, my husband, and asked them if they could use an experimental approach, which had never been performed by those doctors or even in the hospital <laughs> um, uh, because the, the normal method was not working. And luckily it was a success. Um, uh, <laughs> um, I, I was only the 10th person in Japan mm -hmm. in the whole of Japan to have this operation. Um, when I woke up, I couldn't walk, talk or feed myself. I was basically reduced to an infant mm -hmm. uh, and the, the days that followed, um, I could only mutter one word. I, I thought I was saying, you know, uh, cop salad, please, or, you know, Hi, Johan, but I was actually saying the word one over and over. Um, I, I wasn't aware of this. 
I still, yeah, I'm looking back, I think it's ridiculous that I was, you know, I was saying this, but I was. Um, I, uh, so that was because I had severe aphasia. Um, other, I have, I suffer from other afflictions, including right-sided hemiparesis, aphasia, graphia, impaired receptive language skills, and my favorite emotional regulation disorder. <laughs> um, my first year of recovery, I spent more than a thousand hours in therapy. Mm. I was lucky in my unluckiness because the doctors brought, uh, my husband was home. He knew the signs of stroke. The doctors could perform, successfully perform that surgery, which had only, they had only studied in theory. Um, Today I'm how, still. Stacy, how yeah. old were you when this happened? I was. I, I was thirty. No, I would like to say I was thirty-six, but I was forty-six years old. <laughs> yeah. How old are your um, kids? How old are your kids? Um, the eldest two, their twins, were eleven, and the youngest one was turning six, uh, turning seven. Wow. She was. It was in between their birthdays. Um, so they had just turned eleven, and my youngest one was just turning seven yeah um yeah so it's been it's been four years and i still spend a minimum of five hours a week in speech therapy and another uh, three hours a week in pt i also run two to three two to three times per week i practice meditation visualizing and do really tough stuff for me like sudoku and writing in my journal which i both of those, I just, I don't like anymore because I, because <laughs> it's very hard for me to retrain my brain, but yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> wow. And then to be in Tokyo, I mean, you traveled a bunch, so it's not like you, yeah. you know, were away from one primary location, but still to be in a foreign, I mean, a really foreign place and then yeah. it's happened. Um, and as you said, so lucky that your husband was there and recognized the signs. Wow. Um, Absolutely. And I can't imagine with three little kids. I mean, my kids were, I was 49, but my kids, the youngest was in high school. So that just felt older. I mean, still hard, but yeah, as hard as I can imagine having littler kids who are asking more questions, the older, the teenagers yeah. would wait and ask dad, but to have little kids like what, what's going on with mom and you not being able to explain exactly what's going on. That must've been just really difficult. Absolutely. I think they also experienced a different side of my stroke because my son is very asking questions and wants answers and th he's thinking about it and then asking more questions. And that was probably doing my husband's head in <laughs> um, because he didn't know the answers. Right. Um, and then his twin sister, Lulu, um, just became the, the, um, the mother of the household so she, she was mothering everyone and you know taking care um for the younger her younger sister and leo my youngest was just in fairyland right <laughs> yeah. she knew something was wrong right. but she could spend special time with me at the hospital so yeah it was easy they all experienced it yeah. differently yeah yeah so you talked about having the new career as a writer when you had mm -hmm moved or that had happened right before this. And I know one of the questions with my talking to people is that I'm fascinated with, I mean, obviously the way our brains work and we get to get close up and personal with how th brains get broken 
and um, careful what you ask for sometimes. Um, <laughs> but to to there was a sense. I'm curious about the sense of who you, the essence of who you felt, feel you are, and the before and after this stroke. How you know you you couldn't communicate this one word kept coming out even though you were saying things that were clear in your head and I experienced <laughs> that too but just that there was the how did that sense of self kind of go along for the ride can you can you kind yeah. of hold back the time a little bit and articulate a little bit of what that felt like or if you explored that at all yeah I think this is a very interesting question because um, before my stroke. I was living the expat dream, right? I, I thought my life was seriously complete. I had three ch children in a central Tokyo private school, house and travel home all paid for. Yeah, I was living the dream. But looking back, I don't know what would have happened if I didn't suffer and ultimately survive this stroke. Explain, I, explain more what you mean by that. Yeah. I fully believe that we are where we're meant to be. Um, I have never been mad about my stroke. Um, I'm not the same person that I was in February 20th, 2019, but not, who is, right? We've all changed, we've all morphed. My stroke hit the, the pause button of my life, which, I accepted the invitation to change. Yeah, I used it as an impetus. I don't think I would have written a book if I would have not survived my stroke. I would still be thinking about, I would still have it on my to-do list, right? But this <laughs> made sure that that I really hunkered down, taught myself to write again and did it um, with Seth, of course, my speech therapist, my beloved sweet speech therapist. <laughs> um, my 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 stroke like i said it, it was it served as my impetus to do more to live more to follow my passions mm -hmm. suddenly i was free from all the expectations that i placed on myself that others were placing on me or i thought i was that they were um i think people myself included are so wrapped up in in our lives that we don't often think about what are what are we passionate about? What are we? Wh why is why are we not? Why are we so afraid of following this passion, with or without a stroke? Mm -hmm. I think following our passions is the only way to lead lead a meaningful life. So, yeah. how was it that because you were as you said you went from uh, changing career to be a writer and had it on your list? Everybody wants to write a book, right? Um, but when did that sense of um, not feeling like a victim, but was there a moment that you can remember where it, it was like a switch that got flipped that you were going to re-examine your passions or did it just kind of happen over time because now you you didn't have all the busy work? I mean, you had lots of work to do, but it was one yeah. foot in front of the other, literally that kind of stuff versus the project management that a mom would yeah. do with three, you know, growing kids. Yeah. Was there a moment? Yeah. How did that how did that wave kind of hit you? I think it came in stages. Um, the first moment that I realized that 
this would be harder than I thought was I was planning on taking my ch children to New Zealand for their spring break. And I was, as I was still in the hospital um, at their spring break, uh, their head of school sent me a care package with a bunch of, she was from New Zealand. And she sent me a bunch of stuff um, from her home uh, land because she knew and the card read because I know that you can't go to New Zealand and you were planning on it. I'm like, oh, I can't go. So it was like, oh, that the, 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 the penny didn't drop yet. So I'm like, okay, oh, something. Well, okay. I can't go to New Zealand. Okay. And then we went to uh, view um, stroke rehabilitation centers in, in Japan. Um, Japan is a very, is a grow, uh, a growing population. So I was mortified um, at the strokes, uh, the stroke rehabilitation centers, I couldn't imagine getting well there. Right. Um, so I decided to strong arm my doctors and my husband and my friends to let, allow me to go home to re rehabilitate. Um, I would think the language, I, did they speak enough English to be able to do it? Or were you dealing with people that English wasn't their first language on top of the difficulty of you Yes, 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 yeah. So I I already had my speech therapist uh, virtually, uh, Seth, um, about the second week of my stroke, mm -hmm. but he was um, to, um, we did telepractice, mm -hmm. so I could have him in the hospital. Um, so that's that was good. It, it yeah, it, absolutely. And he's still my speech speech therapist, although he's also in the states and I'm here. Um, so yeah, so I think going I think it was a gradual process because I I, I, I did, first of all I didn't know how bad I was and when I found out that I had to go to rehabilitation center and that I pushed that away um, and I just wanted to the jet detriment of um, my numbers let's say I still can't I don't know the days of the week I don't know the months of the year I can't do simple math but I can write now. So <laughs> to the detriment of a lot of <laughs> to the detriment of a lot of other things, um, I, I, I knew that I was going to get that back. So following my passions just came kind mm -hmm. of naturally, but I was pointed in the direction, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so where did you in the States? Where did you come back? Pennsylvania? You went to rehab here in the states, or where did you go? No, I no, I went. Um, I, my husband um, allowed me, let's say, <laughs> um, to rehab at home. Um, so he uh, brought in a nurse oh, to okay. watch me at, uh, in Tokyo. To, yeah, in Tokyo. Okay. Yeah, got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And then you were with the kids because I thought the whole family moved back to the states because that was originally home. So I miss oh home, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we did, we just um I I carved out a schedule, mm -hmm. and that was very difficult for me to, to because I didn't know numbers and so I but I presented Yohan with a schedule of what mm -hmm. I was going to do when and he was like okay hey, we'll try, mm -hmm. so he brought me home. <laughs> That's good. I remember with uh, mine that the. Uh, I wouldn't say that the numbers, it was harder to process stuff, but I do remember because I was working and so all the disability insurance, the paperwork with the insurance and oh. all the follow-up and I thought, okay, this is a pain in the 
in the rear end, but it is exercising my brain to have to yes. call and repeat what happened and to follow the appointments. And so I just, to your point, you're not a victim. This becomes your exercise routine and yeah, you, yeah. you use whatever's in front of you as a way to practice. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. So with your journaling, how are you now, if you can talk about kind of the creative process, um, you know, so the before and after you, you change, like you said, everybody changes and we mm -hmm. all do, especially COVID mm -hmm. has kind of woken everybody up to whether yeah. you wanted to or not, you did. Um, but there must've been some thread of what you wanted to do to tap into those passions that were kind of there before, or was it that you'd never given yourself permission to kind of say, what does Stacy really want to do? Because you're so busy being a mom with three kids and a wife and a professional. Yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. I can't say that my creativity I don't know if it's more or less since my stroke. I don't know if my level of creativity is more or less since my stroke, but I can wholeheartedly say that I've accepted the invitation to get the most out of it. So I, I think it's the latter of what you just said. I think I didn't allow myself prior to four years ago to even explore writing a book, for instance, or, you know, blogging, or I, I, I thought that this was beyond my reach somehow it I it, it didn't seem like a job until it was <laughs> and then when um I know that people often and I had that kind of um filter on this getting into these podcasts is I was looking at creatives who had had brain injuries so writers musicians painters dancers and then in one of the interviews, it was um, the realization that the creativity that was involved in how you are going to get through the day with the new obstacles that you have to navigate, creativity is so much broader. Creativity is all about problem solving. And so there's, a, there's the kind of stereotypic creative types that are doing problem solving and visualizing and all of that but that spans across everybody is creative they just don't necessarily absolutely. call themselves creative so absolutely um, we're very creative you are being very creative um, so with with the book how did you decide to write the book that you did well i had um with so i i knew that i wanted to write a book that was my goal for writing i i had a list of goals and this was my goal for writing and then we made a, a breadcrumb path of how I would get there. I would write 20 blogs. First of all, one email, 20 blogs. Um, um, until I found my voice, let's say. Um, and, and then it just kind of, yeah, how do I say that? It just kind of formed in front of my eyes. Um, the book was like right there. And then I thought to myself, okay, now I know, I, now I have a, a subject matter, which I was probably, you know, before my stroke thinking, oh, what am I going to write about? Okay, a stroke. <laughs> yeah, I'll just and, plus that one. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, and I think it just kind of happened naturally. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so who was your, um, you have this uh, speech therapist, 
And yeah. so was the speech therapist the one that helped lay out the breadcrumbs for you for the book? Or was that somebody else that worked with you? Yes, uh, Seth is basically my speech therapist, my, um, my, uh, my therapist, my, you know, he's, he's my friend. Mm -hmm. um, he's become a friend. Um, yeah, so he laid out the breadcrumb path and we decided that this is what I had to do. I had to X, Y, and Z until I could write a book. And then, then it was, then the process began, of, you know, not collaborating, collating all of the blogs and filling in the blanks. And right. it was, yeah. And I have a very good editor. So it, 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 yeah, now that I've gone through the process, mm -hmm. um, I won't, yeah, I'll do it again, but not so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it must have been, what kind of closure did you get? I mean, besides having a goal that you can, you know, check off your list, how did the closure of actual, because it was the stroke, it wasn't some work of fiction that you did, which is an important book project in and of itself, but for this yeah. project, because it was about you and your strokes, how was that closure when you were done? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think it's funny because it was of course it was cathartic to write the book and it was cathartic to put it all down and at the end of it, it's it's a memoir about my first year of stroke recovery mm -hmm. but I think what I found probably the most significant in in and of itself is that the 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 trauma of having the stroke released something inside of me where I I was trying so hard to get that back. And then in the middle of the year of my first year of stroke recovery, I realized that I don't want to go back to where I once was. I wanted to even go further. Um, I say, a lot, Stacy 2.0. And that means to me that it's not about recovery anymore. And I learned that in my first year, I think this was the most significant part of my closure. Um, I realized that I wanted a transformation. I didn't want to just be Stacy 1.0 anymore because she had a lot of problems, right? <laughs> <laughs> she was smug, she was selfish and, and I don't want to be here anymore. Um, so I think going for the new Stacy is probably the biggest um, work of art that came out of writing that book. Wow. That's a huge <laughs> statement. I feel like I need to leave a long pause. <laughs> let that sink in to people who are listening. That's huge. That's huge. And, and you say that you refer to Stacy 1.0 with a combination of um, removal as a different person, but an acknowledgement and ownership of who that person was and an active decision to make a change. But often people don't talk about what they're changing from. They just talk about the new, yeah. the newness. And yeah. so um, it wasn't just about the, so you're looking at Stacy 1.0 as being the person before the stroke 
and then there's this interim uh uh like uh you're in a cocoon trying to figure out what you're going to come out butterfly wise you know yeah. transformation with the stacy 2.0 um yeah wow that's a uh, that's compelling so what's yeah. your next and you've got a newsletter which i signed up for and um you've got blog which i've been looking but i tried not to get too much i wanted to get the <laughs> wanted to get a fresh story from you know from you but tell me about what your next some of your next goals are yeah so i just um yeah i, I republished let's say um I, i've just re-released let's say a digital course called family 2.0 it's a caregiver's guide to stroke recovery. I think this is all the tips and tricks that some of which we did know and some of which we would have liked to know uh, from people going through the same. So it's written by me, but it's for um, families of stroke survivors um, where they can they can, at the end of the course, they can create an actionable and impactful plan of action from finding support for everyone, including the survivor, including the family members, to impact, impacting their therapist, mm -hmm. to relinquishing the power back to the survivor. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, based on passion-based therapy, mm -hmm. which I fully attribute my success. Can, can you speak more about that? Is that about finding your passions and focusing in on your passions? Is that what the passion therapy is? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's knowing what you're passionate about and that's a process in itself. And right. then having the stamina and the the wherewithal and the support to go there and I mean, realize your sense. big dream. It makes total sense. If you think about the energy that we get when we're doing something we're excited about and then the drudgery when we're not, why wouldn't yeah. you want to tap into that energy of passion and then just reframe the things, you, the work you need to do, you know, the therapies you yeah. need to do within that framework rather than, oh, here's the laundry list of exercises I have to do. You know, right. um, it, it, it's a slog to recover. Yeah, it, it's it's just painful, and it's it is, yeah. The only way that I can describe it is a slog. It's a slog to recover, right? But if we embrace our our what we're passionate about and and reframe it, like you just said, it makes a world of difference. Yeah, I mean, when you think about. Um, as parents, as women who have ba have babies, and you prepare for that, you learn as much as you can, and then like your body just takes control. And yeah. you're thinking, okay, millions of women have done this for a long time, so I'm going to get through this. I'm not in control like I think I'm in control. But then the recovery—you're not sleeping, your nipples hurt, you're just everything yeah, hurts. Yeah, but you yeah, want, yeah. you've got this bundle of joy, and so that passion and excitement of why you did it helps the slog kind of, you know, it becomes bragging rights. Like, yes, I survived, you know, the first yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. exactly. So, um, no, that's exactly. Cool. So this is a perfect pivot in the couple of minutes that we have left in terms of 
what if you could go back to your pre-stroke self, what piece of advice would you give you, Stacy? One point mm. of mm. not that she would listen to you, but if you could go exactly, <laughs> exactly, um, if if she would listen to me, I would say, hey, there's more to life. Stop, just stop what you're doing. Time is fleeting. I would ask myself very pointed questions. Are you really where you want to be? Are you happy where you are? Mm -hmm. And like you said, I I definitely would not have listened. I think sadly it takes a life-threatening situation sometimes mm -hmm. to make us see the need for change. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I mean, I wouldn't wish a stroke on anybody, but the, the, um, the richness of life afterwards, I, you can intellectualize it, but sometimes it takes the, unfortunately, the physical experience. So if there's a way to have people get there without having to go through a traumatic <laughs> life event, that would be great. But um, exactly. Um, and what piece of advice, and this may come from the class you put together, but what what gems or things pop to the top in terms of what caregivers you'd like caregivers to know and supporting somebody who is recovering from or is in because recovery, it's like you're a different person and you just, you learn to live, but using that mm -hmm. vernacular, what advice would you give to a caregiver? I think the best piece of advice is let your survivor or not let your survivor, but um, advocate for your survivor to follow their passions and then grab onto them like a pit bull, tell everyone that you meet, impact the therapist, the doctors. Um, I think there's a difference between what the doctors say is possible and what actually is possible. Um, the doctors told me, uh, my husband, she, they didn't tell me mm -hmm. that I would never write again due to my severe aphasia. Um. So <laughs> so I think there's a, there's a difference between prognoses and um, possibilities. Mm -hmm. I think there are no absolutes. Um, if your survivor is passionate about gardening, about um, baking, mm -hmm. do it. Grab onto that. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Um, and it, in the end, you have to accept the invitation and grow with it and accept it again tomorrow and the next day afterwards. It's, um, it is it is very much a slog to recover, as we said. But if you if you um, if you reframe. reframe that, yeah, as as a transformation, then it's a little bit softer approach. I love your using the word invitation because mm -hmm. it in, it it implies an openness and a choice. To whether you're going to accept it or not versus I'm a victim and I have to that so that invitation is such a powerful yeah. empowering way to look at it absolutely well thank you Stacy um and I'll include um links you know to your your website and the classes and and all of that um rich material that um people are going to be uh lucky to be exposed to and that um, you're helping people by what you're doing. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. And it was nice to talk to you. Yeah, it was very nice meeting you. Take care. Bye-bye.
You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me this month. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, leave a comment, and subscribe. Until next month, take a moment and hug someone you love.